Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I really appreciate you joining us today, whether you're in Zoom or somewhere else that we're live streaming to, or you're listening to this on the replay on the podcast, the YouTube channel, the Facebook, or anywhere else that we share content. Because today is a a day that we come together as a community in order to support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll be guiding you guys through a session of this meditation. And just as a reminder to help you understand why we're doing this is this helps us to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. It helps the mind to let go because that's the number one problem that's causing the discontentedness in the mind is the mind has this craving desire attachment where it's longing it's yearning it's holding on it's craving permanence so in our meditation we're focused on the breath and whenever the mind moves off the breath we cut that off let it go and come back to the breath this trains the mind over multiple sessions to more easily let go And when you first start, you might have a lot of thoughts, a lot of bombardment of thoughts, and that's completely normal when you get started and maybe even for a period of time afterwards. But more and more, you get used to observing the mind, focusing it on the breath, having this mindfulness, this concentration. And then when the mind moves off the breath, you notice it sooner and sooner, and then you cut it off, let it go and come back to the breath. You're never going to actually eliminate the thoughts in meditation. You'll go longer and longer periods of having stilled the mind or quieted the mind. But even when the mind is enlightened, there's still going to be an occasional thought. So our goal here is not to eliminate the thoughts. Our goal here is to be observant of the mind that when the mind is off the breath, we can cut that off and let it go more easily. So that way in daily life, as things are happening and you observe that there's this discontentedness arising, whether it's pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, you can cut that off and let it go. So if you feel this conditioned excitement, happiness, elation, thrill, euphoria coming, you can cut that off and let it go. Or if you feel this sadness, this anger, this frustration, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, you can cut that off and let it go. Or if you have this boredom or loneliness or shyness or discomfort or displeasure, you can cut that off and let it go. But you wouldn't be able to do that if you weren't training the mind through these active, dedicated, purposeful training sessions where we're focused on the mind. And as you do this more and more, you will see that you'll have more control or more discipline over the mind because you've trained the mind in meditation. So then when you're training in meditation, when you're outside of meditation, 
you'll have more discipline because you've been actually training the mind. So the way that we do our meditation is I will guide you guys in meditation, starting out with a chant just to kind of ease us into meditation. And then once we ease into meditation, I'll give you some guidance. And then there'll be a period of time where I'll just be completely quiet, letting you do the work of actually doing the meditation and training the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, arising, mindfulness and concentration. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. Concentration is being able to focus on one single fixed object like your breath. And then after we do meditation for a while, then I'll come back in with a chant just to kind of end off our meditation. And I'll open up to any questions that you guys have, you know, that you would like to learn, whether it's about meditation, whether it's about any other aspect of this path, I'll open up to any questions that you guys have and I'll share with you guys how to do that when we actually get to that point. So why don't I just go ahead and ease you guys into meditation now that you guys are here, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Zoom, or you're watching this or listening to this on the replay, you can just go ahead and get your physical body into position. Whereas if you're sitting on the floor, you might have cross legs, just lightly crossing the legs, not too tight. You're not interested in inhibiting the circulation flow. And then if you're on the floor, you might be interested to put a cushion under your rear to kind of get that up in the air so you lessen the angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankles. If you're in a chair, you're just probably sitting comfortably on the chair, maybe with your feet flat on the floor, or you might cross the ankles. You know, this practice isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same because it's not possible. We're just looking for some various options that are going to work for you. So that's why I'm giving you all these different options and you can find what's working best for you. Your hands and your arms, there's lots of different options here as well. The Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he put that into his lap, and you can do that. At this point, your hands and arms should be completely relaxed. There shouldn't be any engagement in the muscles whatsoever. But if that isn't comfortable for you, and some people it won't be, then maybe you put your palms on your thighs, you put them on your knees, you might put them on the armrest of the chair, Essentially, what you would like to get the lower body and the hands and arms, you would like them to be comfortable. You're not interested in it being real uptight, but you're not interested in being very luxurious either. So in the middle where it's nice and comfortable, the upper body should be erect where the lower body, the hands and arms, the muscles are completely disengaged because you would like those to be completely relaxed. The upper body should be erect around the spine, not real tight, not real tense, but not slouched either, but nice and comfortable with an erect upper torso because this is what keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. If the body is slouched, the mind's gonna have a tendency to be complacent. Or if you're real uptight, the mind's gonna also be uptight. So you'd like to find that middle where the upper body is erect and it's comfortable. And this keeps the mind attentive, alert, and aware during the meditation so that you can actually do the work. So with the body in position, next just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady, consistent breath. Breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chants, and you're welcome to join along if you know these chants. 
If not, just stay establishing the breath, just breathing in through the nose and out through the nose, and I'll be back with some guidance after the chants. necessarily match up to the guidance that I'm providing. But whenever you get to the next inhale, take a nice gradual breath in through the nose, breathing in. Breathing out through the nose, nice and gradual, wherever you get to that next exhale. Breathing in, and out. 
Here you're just establishing the breath, a nice, steady, consistent breath. You're not interested in forcing the breath or controlling the breath. Just a nice, gradual inhale, experiencing the full breath. And wherever you're ready, an exhale, experiencing the full breath with a nice, gradual exhale. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out. Now with the breath established, a nice steady and consistent inhale and exhale, start focusing the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in. In out. Breathing in. In out. As the mind is fixated on the breath, and there's thoughts that arise in the mind. No need to observe the thought, no need to label it or judge it. Don't even try to figure out where it's come from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is off the breath, you just cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. You haven't done anything wrong. The mind just isn't interested in staying in the present moment. So where you observe the minds off the breath, you just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Breathing in through the nose. Breathing out through the nose. Gradual breath, breathing in and out. If you observe any thoughts, ideas, perceptions, anything that comes to mind, you're going to cut that off and let it go, training the mind to be in the present moment. We're arising and cultivating mindfulness and concentration while eliminating craving, desire, attachment. Breathing in
in, out. The mind might even be interested in holding on to this voice. So I'm going to be quiet now. I'm going to let you do this work, focusing on the breath. And wherever you notice the mind's not on the breath, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
to slowly make your way out of meditation just ease the mind back and uh, we'll go ahead and open up to any questions that you guys have related to either meditation or anything related to this path to enlightenment the way that you ask a question is you put that into facebook youtube or zoom in the comment section and our moderators will see that and be sure your question gets asked during the class or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'll just turn the class over to you guys. Hello, teacher. Uh, does it work better if one uh, tries to keep the meditation sessions daily at exactly the same time? It's not possible to do the, the meditations at exactly the same time in terms of schedule or the length it's going to be variable because of the universal truth of impermanence it would be possible for say you to 
do meditation every day at eight o'clock. It's just not going to happen. You might do that for a period of time, but then you're going to fall away from that. And if the mind craves to do meditation at exactly the same time every day, when you don't do it at that time, the mind's going to be discontent because it wants to do it at that time, but yet it doesn't because of the universal truth of impermanence. So instead, what I suggest students do is to have kind of anchor points where maybe in the morning and in the evening, those are your two meditations and where you can fit one in in the middle of the day as well. So what I do is I wake up in the morning, I'll use the restroom, empty out all the organs, and then I'll do the meditation in the morning. But even with me, there's mornings where I wake up and I don't have the ability to do meditation. And so I'll do it at the next possible time. So if the mind craves to do meditation, even every morning, I would like to do meditation every single morning. This is just not possible because of the universal truth of impermanence. So what you do is you gradually work towards the goal of two to three meditation sessions a day for 30 minutes or more per session, realizing that you're not going to absolutely nail that every single day. And your enlightenment and the condition of your mind isn't going to be determined if you miss one meditation, right? It's not going to be determined by that. So if you miss a meditation in the morning, it's like, okay, well, I wasn't able to do that because I had to walk my dogs or I had to get my kids to school or it snowed. So I had to clean off the snow from the car and I wasn't anticipating that or the water in the house wasn't working and I had to take a cold shower or something, who knows, right? There's umpteen number of things that can come up in your day in terms of impermanence. So you just kind of go with the flow and you realize, okay, I didn't get that meditation, but I'll be sure to get one sometime in the middle of the day, or I'll definitely get this one this evening when I get home. So even if you miss one meditation on a particular day, your enlightenment isn't going to be determined by missing just that one meditation. But the goal is that you build up a practice where you have a long-term consistent practice of meditating, where over the course of one year, two years, three years, that you're consistently meditating, that you don't allow that one missed meditation to be one week of not meditating or one month of meditating, or one year of meditating. There was a point in time where I didn't meditate for three and a half years, and it was probably the worst three and a half years of my life. And once I got back to it, then that's when everything started to really click for me. So if you allow that one missed meditation to kind of diminish the mind and feel degraded that, oh my goodness, I'm so bad because I missed that one meditation. This is where you can kind of downward spiral. And if you realize like, okay, so I missed that meditation. There's impermanence, just like the Buddha said, the universal truth of impermanence. So let me just be sure that I get my meditations going for the rest of this week and, you know, this evening and so forth. And then that's how your enlightenment is going to be determined is can you build up a practice for yourself where over a long term, consistent period of time that you're consistently meditating about two or three times per day for 30 minutes or longer per session. So your sessions will be different. And I don't even suggest people time their meditations with an alarm, because if you have an alarm, you're either going to be deep in meditation and the alarm's going to go off and you're like, boy, I wish I wouldn't have set that alarm because I could have got so much more meditation if I would have just kept going. But I can't keep going because I have to stop this alarm. Or you're going to be in your meditation 
is it time yet? 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 And your mind's just craving to know if it's the time. So you're not really focused on the breath and doing the work that you need to do to let go of craving because the mind's sitting there craving. Now, of course, if you're waking up in the morning and you've got to get to work and you've only got 20 or 30 or 40 minutes, you might need to set the alarm for that situation. But where you can, maybe in the evenings or on the weekends, you're not even interested in setting the alarm. You just start your meditation, meditate, and then when you're done, you're done. And then probably maybe like once a week or so, before your meditation, just look at the time. Oh, okay, 9 a.m., okay, and then you meditate. And then when you're done meditating, you look and you say, oh, okay, 9.15. So I meditated for 15 minutes. And you just do that kind of like once a week to kind of see that you're expanding. So if you see that you're falling short of the 30 minutes and you're not quite getting there, then just make an effort to expand it more and more and more. And once a week, you're kind of checking in on the time by just looking at the clock before meditation and after meditation. And this kind of gives you a gauge and a barometer, so to speak, to determine if you're kind of getting to your 30 minutes because you might be so deep in meditation, you've just lost track of all time. And that's actually the best scenario is that if you don't know the time and you're just focused on the breath and kind of time and space is just kind of paused during that time while you're actually meditating, that would be ideal. So if you set an alarm for yourself, the mind's gonna have a tendency, if you do that on a regular basis, to just crave to know if it's time, or you'll be deep in meditation and you could have gotten so much more benefit, but the alarm goes off and there you have to stop your meditation. So just stay in the present moment and just start your meditation and finish, and that's what you've done, and you're done with that, you move on. Well, let's go to Marada. Yes, David. Um, there are times where myself, and I have heard from others also, will start seeing different shades of lights, and they almost take on a form um, while they're meditating. When this happens, what should a practitioner do? You should treat it just like everything else, is cut it off and let it go, come back to the breath. Because as the mind is awakening, it has all these different things that happen. You'll really see the true power of the mind that when you start seeing different colors, different shapes, different things that are happening in the mind, you even maybe have physical sensations. Some people feel like the head is getting really big like an elephant and then it's contracting or all these different things that the mind can do. You see the real power of the mind. But whenever you observe that, you would like to just cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Sometimes people get really involved in having this craving, this desire of, I saw a purple light. What does purple mean? If I saw purple, what does that mean? Or I saw this bright light. Does that mean I'm enlightened? You know, I saw this bright light. And they go around and talk to many different people and try to figure out what these different colors and shapes mean. They actually don't mean anything. All it really means is the mind is starting to awaken and it's kind of unraveling. It's kind of like this ball of twine that all through our life before we were on this path, we've been binding up all of this stuff, all these experiences in this ball of twine and we've just been winding it around and winding it around. And as we start unraveling and untangling that mind and that ball of twine, these things kind of bubble up to the surface of the mind. 
And where that happens, you're trying to gain control and discipline over this mind. So you just cut it off and let it go. It's the ego, that arrogance, that conceit that's like, oh, I saw purple. What does that mean? That's got to be something important. Or I saw this bright light. Does that mean I'm enlightened? You know, what is that? And what I share with people is it's just the mind doing what the mind does and just let it go. There's no significance other than this is what the mind does. And you just cut it off and let it go. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Well, one session for 30 minutes a day works better or two sessions, 15 minutes each works better. The idea would be two to three at 30 minutes or more. But what I notice is that the frequency of meditation is more important than the length of meditation, particularly early on. When people first start, they might only get five or 10 minutes of meditation when they're first starting. So it's better to have the two meditations than just one meditation because it really helps to have the frequency in there. But if you're observing that you're only getting 15 minutes a session, just try to keep expanding that. So it shouldn't be this choice of, you know, do I do one for 30 or do I do two for 15? It should just be, you know, work on getting two to three for 30 minutes or more and whatever you need to progress towards that and realize that it's a gradual progression that you're not going to be able to just snap the fingers and for that to occur. And that's why it's called a practice, is we're practicing. We're not perfect yet until the mind is enlightened. But even then, when the mind is enlightened, what I share with people is the only one who's really fully, perfectly enlightened is a Buddha. So everyone else, even they're enlightened, we don't consider them fully, perfectly enlightened. If we let go of that perfection and we realize that we're all on this journey and we're walking towards the light, we're walking towards enlightenment, and just kind of sneaking up on it gradually, but slowly. But don't ever put yourself in a position where you're trying to decide, okay, it's either one for 30 or two for 15. What do I need to do? Well, what you really need to do is the two to three for 30 minutes or more. And that's what you would really like to get to because early on, you know, that five or 10 minutes, you'll see a real improvement in the mind, but then it's going to take longer and longer sessions in order to have the same effect and what i notice is when you get closer to that 30 minute mark that's where the real changes start to really take effect in the mind you can experience some change even when you're doing five or ten minutes early on but in terms of the longevity of your meditation practice it's when you get to that 30 minute mark twice a day that you really start noticing the difference and Gautama buddha by the way he meditated three times a day that's what he did as a ordained practitioner. As a Buddha, he meditated three times a day. There's no mention about the length of time that he meditated that I've seen, but it did say that in his original source teachings that he meditated morning, midday, and evening. And in terms of like an exact time, remember that timepieces weren't invented 2,500 years ago. So if you're ever hearing somebody say like, oh, you have to meditate at 3 a.m. every morning or you're not going to get to enlightenment or you have to meditate at 10 p.m. every night because there's something special in the stars that's going to help you to improve the condition of your mind because of this special thing in the sky. 
well, how did the Buddha figure out it was 10 p.m. or 3 a.m.? He wasn't able to do that, and he didn't do that. He just meditated morning, midday, and evening. That's what it says in his original source teachings because he couldn't tell what time it was because the exact time wasn't known. There wasn't timepieces invented 2,500 years ago. So when we start putting ourselves in that frame of mind that we realize the originator the discoverer, the declarer of this path to enlightenment didn't have a timepiece. So let us function in that same way that we aim to meditate morning, midday, and evening perhaps. And we aim to meditate for what we consider to be 30 minutes or longer, but we don't have to be so fixed on those things because that's where the mind's going to be discontent if we allow the mind to crave those things. Well, on Zoom, Jen has a question. She writes, Thank you, Teacher David. Today I experienced a period where the breath felt really refreshing and almost like it was filling my whole body. Should I cut it, cut this off as well and focus on my nose? Yes, if you're having pleasant feelings arise during meditation, you would like to cut those off as well because that's a conditioned pleasant feeling. It's being conditioned on, oh, the mind's so peaceful. Wow, look at that or whatever it was for you. I'm just speaking from my own experience. When I first started experiencing the peacefulness of the mind, I was like, oh, wow, look at that. That's just amazing. I had no idea that that could happen. But then the next meditation session, it wasn't that way. And it's like, oh, now I'm sad. Now I'm frustrated. Why can't it be that way again? I want that peacefulness again. And that's where the craving is, you know, bouncing around and the mind's going up and down. So if you experience these pleasant feelings arising in meditation, you cut that off and let it go and come back to the breath. And then that helps you to gain this control that whether it's pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, you're training the mind to be in the present moment and not base its inner feelings on some impermanent condition, even the impermanent condition of meditation. Well, sometimes while meditating, I feel that the mind is uh, uh, comfortable or maybe uh, content in the gap between breathing in and breathing out. But the mind experiences some restlessness maybe or discontentedness when breathing in and breathing out. What's your advice for this? Keep working on it. Just keep working on it, focusing on the breath. And the more that you progress as you go day by day, you'll continue to see progress, right? Your meditation can feel like it's stagnant or it can feel like it's not really progressing. And that's normal. You can go four weeks, eight weeks, and just feel like things are just kind of like, all right, well, I'm just doing this meditation. And you've got to be content with that. And then you can have periods where every single meditation for a week, it's like, whoa, I'm making these big steps forward every single week or every single session uh, within this week. Again, if you get attached to that, like observing that progress every single day for that week, then when you're not making that progress, then it's like, whoa, I'm not making progress. What's wrong? What's wrong? Well, this is the mind judging itself. It's trying to judge, was this a good meditation? Was this a bad meditation? Am I getting more enlightened? Am I getting more awake? You know, this is the mind being overactive and trying to figure out. Instead, you just do your meditation and it is what it is. Whatever you got out of it, it's like, okay, done meditation, finished. Whatever happened, happened. You know, you don't sit there and you don't judge what's going on in your meditation 
You don't try to figure out the thoughts. You work to improve it, but knowing that this trajectory, it's not just a linear line straight up to enlightenment. It's up and then it's a few steps back and then it's up and then a few steps back and then up and a few steps back and up. But you're making forward progress, but there's going to be these backward steps, both in your meditation practice and in your daily practice, too, whether it's about right speech or right action or something like this. You're going to know the teachings of right speech because you'll learn those as part of this path. But then you'll struggle and have difficulties practicing it consistently. But the difference is, is that in the past, when we're off this path and we don't know this path, we're just walking through the forest, knocking down trees, burning up the forest and not even giving a care of what's going on in our life. And we're having all these problems. We don't understand why. Well, now that you're on the path and you know the teachings around right speech, for example, and you realize that you didn't practice right speech in a certain situation, at least you recognize that. At least you recognize like, hey, that wasn't wise for me. That wasn't wholesome speech. And I need to improve that. And I know the teachings to improve that. And I have a teacher that I can reach out to and get help. And I have other members in my community that I can reach out and get help from. And that's very different than where we were when we were off this path. We didn't even know that we were knocking down the trees and burning up the forest. Where now it's like we bump into a tree. It's like, oh, I didn't like that. I didn't, I'm not interested in bumping into that tree because if I bump it too many times, it's going to fall down. So let me kind of walk through this forest with a bit more consciousness, a bit more awareness, and be sure that I'm not bumping into trees because I know that that's just going to hurt me if I do that. So let me work on this speech. Let me make it better. Let me refine it and know that you're going to have missteps along the way. And that's part of it. That's part of where you gain that wisdom. But at least you recognize it and you see that something is is off. And that's different than judging yourself. Judging yourself is kind of looking down on yourself, diminishing yourself, degrading yourself, feeling miserable because you haven't done what you feel like you're supposed to be doing. That's going to lead you to guilt and shame and maybe fear as well. Instead, what you do is you say, okay, well, I didn't practice right speech there. Let me review those teachings. Let me get out the book. You know, let me look at this. Let me do I need to apologize to this person? I should probably apologize to them if it's somebody in my life that I can apologize to. Uh, if it's somebody that I just saw, you know, at a gas station and I'm never going to see them again. OK, let me just leave that in the past. Let me work on this. Let me read the book. Let me skip to that section where it says right speech. Let me just kind of review that today. And then tomorrow in the morning, I'll review it again before my meditation or after my meditation. And I'm going to review this for a couple of times this week just to be sure it's really soaked into the mind before I go out into the world. And this is the way you ensure that you're absorbing what you need to absorb. And then you notice over a period of time, your speech improves and it gets better and better. And now there's something else for you to work on. So it's kind of like this home improvement project. The mind is like this project at your home, whether it's wallpaper, whether it's painting, whether it's, you know, laying some new carpet or baseboards or whatever. You're always kind of looking like, what can I do next in order to improve the condition of this mind? And the Buddhist teachings in this book that we're using, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, this is going to give you that foundation and that framework to really have something that you can come back to 
and you can look at it multiple times and ensure that you're bringing your practice up more and more all the time, but with the awareness that it's going to have backward steps. You're going to have 10 steps forward, two back, six steps forward, one back, five steps forward, three back, you know, 10 steps forward, three back, right? But you're making forward progress as you're doing this. And we oftentimes get lost on that forward progress. And we don't focus on that forward progress. We look at, oh, you know, we look at the three steps back. We look at that and we fixate on that and we beat ourselves up about that instead of saying, well, hold on a second. I took 10 steps forward. I took three steps back, but hey, I'm seven steps further than I was before. And that's progress. Let me not be complacent But also don't let me hold on to this so tightly that I beat myself up over the three steps back because this is part of the process. It's not going to be 10 steps forward, five steps forward, six steps forward, eight steps forward. That's what the mind wants. That's what it expects. That's what it craves is just continuous progress forward. But it doesn't work that way. Nothing in your life has ever worked that way, whether it was learning to read, learning to write, learning a musical instrument learning how to drive, learning some kind of business skill, everything that we've ever done, it's always been 10 steps forward, two back, six steps forward, three back, you know, but we're always have been making forward progress to where we are today. In the book that you wrote, uh, volume one, you mentioned wants and needs. Can you explain the difference between these? Yeah, the mind is going to have wants. It's going to have these craving, desire, attachments, wants, expectations, longing, yearning. The mind is pulling towards the objects of its affection. These things aren't typically needed in our life. They're they're wants. Like my son wants a PlayStation, but does he need a PlayStation? No, not necessarily. He might want a new pair of shoes, but if he has three, four, five, six pairs of shoes, what is one more pair of shoes going to do, right? So the mind oftentimes has these wants because it's chasing after the objects of its affection, thinking this next new pair of shoes is going to somehow fulfill the mind, or this PlayStation is going to somehow make everything better in life. And we get fixated on that object, thinking that the next new shiny object around the corner is going to be what it takes to make this mind content. So we need to look at our wants and realize that it's very expensive to chase after our wants. And this is where we can end up lacking resources to fulfill our needs. Our needs are things that we need to sustain our life. The basic necessities are things like food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical care. Oftentimes we're spending way beyond that and even sometimes going into debt. And then that debt puts extra pressure on us And it makes it a real challenge to feel liberated and feel freedom when you've got a bunch of debt on your shoulders. So when we throttle down our wants and we just attend to our needs, then we can live within our means. And then, yeah, there's going to be times where we do something a little bit extra, where we might go to a little bit nicer restaurant or, you know, we might decide that, yeah, let me buy another shirt and or another pair of shoes or something like that. But when we're doing that with every single thing in our life, that's where the mind is misunderstanding what it really needs in order to to sustain itself and to be content is that none of this external stuff 
is going to create inner contentment or inner fulfillment or inner satisfaction. Even you hearing me say that, the mind is going to be interested to chase. It's just like an animal, like that chapter we talked about recently in this program, the animal moving to a human. What does the animal do? It chases after the rabbit or it chases after the squirrel. And then once it gets it and it kills it, sometimes it gets bored with it and it doesn't even eat it, right? Because it just chased you know it has that instinctive behavior of chasing after something and human beings are the same way is that we chase after the objects of our affection thinking that that's going to satisfy us and then once we obtain it there might be a temporary period of happiness that arises in the mind but then in a matter of time our mind goes right back to being angry or frustrated or irritated or annoyed or what have you or bored or lonely or something else so we have to realize that when the mind's pulling towards its wants, the objects of its affection, you need to look at that thing and say, is this something that I really need? Is this going to somehow make my life better? I've got 10 pairs of shoes at home. Do I need one more pair? Or I've got five purses at home. How many purses am I going to carry at one time? Can I really carry six purses at one time? Is that possible? And then you start kind of realizing like, man, the mind is just chasing after all these countless things. And you look back at your life and you realize that's what you've been doing your whole life is you've just been chasing after things, thinking that these things are going to fulfill you, whether it's things like a purse or shoes, or it could be a relationship or it could be a job title or a home or a car or something like this, a new vacation and another vacation and another vacation or something like this, a new phone and a new phone and a new computer and a new this and a new that. And the mind's just kind of chasing and it gets so excited thinking that this thing is going to somehow bring this great satisfaction to the mind. But essentially what you get is these conditioned pleasant feelings that are just temporary because you're basing your inner feelings on this impermanent condition of a new computer or a new phone or a new pair of shoes or what have you. And then when that fades away, the mind's right back where it started from. And it just doesn't realize that it's stuck in this cycle. It's just stuck in this constant cycle of chasing the objects of its affection, never fully feeling satisfied because it doesn't understand the problem of craving desire attachment. So those wants, those wants are things that the mind's chasing after that it doesn't really need. It just wants it. It's chasing it because it thinks it's going to be fulfilling, but it actually really isn't. So you've got to look at the things in your life and decide, you know, what do you really need and bring your life down to something very simple. And then when you practice that for a while, then of course, if you decide that you would like to do something extra, you have the ability to do that. But if you've been living beyond your means for a period of time and you don't have savings, you don't have a financial support, this can feel you know, very disheartening and it can feel very unstable to not be financially secure in your life. So if you keep chasing your wants and you keep spending and spending and spending to fulfill those, you can't really get that stability of a financial base. But if you bring things down to your needs, pay off all your debts, and then continue to stay within your needs and then just occasionally be choosing to do something that is beyond what your needs are, 
then this can be a very fulfilling life because you've got a very strong financial foundation and you've restrained the mind to now just fulfill your needs. And then you'll see there, you can actually practice generosity more with the people around you because you're not just pursuing your own selfish desires and having selfishness. Well, how can one get a version of this book, teacher, volume one? So there's the website that you can download it, buddhadailywisdom.com. And, you know, and from there, you can download it, you can take it and print it, or you can go to Amazon and you can get it on there. There's printed versions and there's a Kindle version as well. So you can get it all those different ways. Well, uh, Parikshit has a question on Zoom. He writes, Venerable Teacher, in M1, 121, 122, I think this is a reference. Uh, there are shorter and greater discourses on voidness. Sunata, would you please kindly explain about voidness in terms of practice? People say different things about voidness. So what is it really about? What's this word, voidness? Voidness, yes. Can you spell it for me? Yeah, V-O-I-D-N-E-S-S. I haven't seen this word used in the Buddhist teachings. You'll have to send me that after class, so... I can help you understand what it is you're reading because different translators will use different things. So I'm not familiar with what you're sharing there. Well, thanks, teacher. That's all for today. Okay. So this Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 22 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. It's titled Mental Health, A Modern Day Delusion. And this is related to some of the things that we experience on a day-to-day basis So far, we may think that their illnesses or defective mind or a sickness and things like this. And I'm going to help you to see how many of the things that we encounter and that we've been told that are an illness or the brain is defective can actually be resolved through training the mind, that it's just an untrained mind. Now, of course, there are certain things like brain injuries or brain trauma that doesn't fit into this category, but you'll see the way that I present it. And you're welcome to read the chapter before and or after class if you'd like to get some more content and more context and then we'll kind of draw it out and get to some of the uniquenesses of what I'm sharing in this chapter. Then next Wednesday we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation together so you're welcome to join for that and keep in mind that this whole group learning program is going to be starting over on April 6th which is only about four or five weeks from now so we're going to be starting from the very beginning all over again. So I'd like to thank all of you for choosing to dedicate your time, effort, energy, and resources to learning and practicing the Buddhist teachings and making it a priority for yourself by coming to classes like this and by practicing each day your meditation and learning and reading books and things like that. Anytime you need help, you can just reach out for support and I'm here to help you. So we'll see you in a future class. Between now and then, have a very lovely rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. 
A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.